Section 18 of Twain and Howells on Each Other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain. Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter 17. A little after this, Clemens went abroad with his family and lived several years in Germany. His letters still came, but at longer intervals, and the thread of our intimate relations was inevitably broken. He would write me when something I had written pleased him, or when something signal occurred to him, or some political or social outrage stirred him to wrath, and he wished to free his mind in pious profanity. During this sojourn he came near dying of pneumonia in Berlin, and he had slight relapses from it after coming home. In Berlin also he had the honor of dining with the German emperor at the table of a cousin married to a high officer of the court. Clemens was a man to enjoy such a distinction. He knew how to take it as a delegated recognition from the German people. But as coming from a rather cock-a-hoop sovereign, who had as yet only his sovereignty to value himself upon, he was not very proud of it. He expressed a quiet disdain of the event, as between the imperiality and himself, on whom it was supposed to confer such glory, crowning his life with the topmost leaf of laurel. He was in the same mood in his account of an English dinner many years before, where there was a little Scotch lord present, to whom the English tacitly referred Clemens' talk, and laughed when the lord laughed, and were grave when he failed to smile. Of all the men I have known, he was the farthest from a snob, though he valued recognition, and liked the flattery of the fashionable fair when it came in his way. He would not go out of his way for it, but, like most able and brilliant men, he loved the minds of women, their wit, their agile cleverness, their sensitive perception, their humorous appreciation, the saucy things they would say, and their pretty temerarious defiances. He had, of course, the keenest sense of what was truly dignified and truly undignified in people, but he was not really interested in what we call society affairs. They scarcely existed for him, though his books witness how he abhorred the dreadful fools who, through some chance of birth or wealth, hold themselves different from other men. Commonly he did not keep things to himself, especially dislikes and condemnations. Upon most current events he had strong opinions, and he uttered them strongly. After a while he was silent in them, but if you tried him you found him in them still. He was tremendously worked up by a certain famous trial, as most of us were who lived in the time of it. He believed the accused guilty, but when we met some months after it was over, and I tempted him to speak his mind upon it, he would only say, The man had suffered enough, as if the man had expiated his wrong, and he was not going to do anything to renew his penalty. I found that very curious, very delicate. His continued blame could not come to the sufferer's knowledge, but he felt it his duty to forbear it. He was apt to wear himself out in the vehemence of his resentments, or he had so spent himself in uttering them that he had literally nothing more to say. You could offer Clemens offenses, 
that would anger other men, and he did not mind. He would account for them from human nature. But if he thought you had in any way played him false, you were anathema and maranatha forever. Yet not forever, perhaps, for by and by, after years, he would be silent. There were two men, half a generation apart in their succession, whom he thought equally atrocious in their treason to him, and of whom he used to talk terrifyingly, even after they were out of the world. He went farther than Heine, who said that he forgave his enemies, but not till they were dead. Clemens did not forgive his dead enemies. Their death seemed to deepen their crimes, like a base evasion or a cowardly attempt to escape. He pursued them to the grave. He would like to dig them up and take vengeance upon their clay. So he said, but no doubt he would not have hurt them if he had had them living before him. He was generous without stint. He trusted without measure. But where his generosity was abused or his trust betrayed, he was a fire of vengeance, a consuming flame of suspicion that no sprinkling of cool patience from others could quench. It had to burn itself out. He was eagerly and lavishly hospitable, but if a man seemed willing to batten on him or in any way to lie down upon him, Clemens despised him unutterably. In his frenzies of resentment or suspicion he would not, and doubtless could not, listen to reason. But if between the paroxysms he were confronted with the facts, he would own them, no matter how much they told against him. At one period he fancied that a certain newspaper was hounding him with biting censure and poisonous paragraphs, and he was filling himself up with wrath to be duly discharged on the editor's head. Later he wrote me, with a humorous joy in his mistake, that Warner had advised him to have the paper watched for these injuries. He had done so. And how many mentions of him did I reckon he had found in three months? Just two. And they were rather indifferent than unfriendly. So the paper was acquitted and the editor's life was spared. The wretch never knew how near he was to losing it, with incredible preliminaries of obloquy and a subsequent devotion to lasting infamy. End of chapter 17